Uncertainty and turmoil in the financial markets, we don't like it. But fortunately, this coin also has a flip side. Time and again it shows that investors in these situations look for new ways to make their investments pay off. And it is precisely in difficult periods that innovation gets a chance. The further opening of private assets and the democratization of this asset class is one of such developments. Previously available only to the large institutional investor, this category is now coming within reach of practically every investor. What is driving this development and what should investors look for when considering private assets? In this podcast, we zoom in on one of the investment opportunities that fall under the heading of private assets, namely private equity. And we talk with Richard Deming, co-head of Private Equity Investments Europe at Schroeder's and Wim Nagler, head of institutional relations Schroeder's Benelux. Good morning, gentlemen, and welcome to you both. Hey, Morning. Richard, I'd like to start off with you. Let's maybe kick it off with a good definition of what we actually mean by private markets. What, what type of investments are we talking about? Yes, uh, private, private markets are, are basically everything uh, that is non-public. Uh, so on public markets, uh, you have relatively easy access through official exchanges. Uh, there are uh, lots of brokers. You can get those products literally at the click of a button. Uh, private markets are more complicated because there are no such exchanges. Uh, there's no such uh, intermediation level. And therefore, it's much more uh, difficult to access. Uh, and uh, you need to think about investments like private equity, which is buying companies that are not listed on the stock exchange. Uh, you can think about private debt, which is you know debt instruments that are not listed. Um, and you need to think about uh, infrastructure projects, uh, and you can think about uh, real estate investments. Uh, I think all of us, uh, or many of us, will buy real estate at some point in our lives. Uh, and that is actually a good example of a private transaction. And, and I think we all know that that is much more complicated to do than buying a share on a stock exchange. And, and that level of complication, complexity is also what uh, drives extra return potential. And therefore, that is what people are looking for uh, when they are investing in private markets is to capture this extra return compared to, to public markets. Right. And Richard, uh, my understanding is that you deal with private equity in, in particular. Could you tell us a bit more, what does it entail and, and basically why is it of interest to investors? Private equity are, are, are really investments into private companies. So companies not listed on, on, a, on a stock exchange. Um, this is very interesting uh, because uh, actually most companies are not listed on a stock exchange. Um, it's only really the big companies that that obviously we all know and 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 many of us will also invest in. But in reality, uh, the real economy in countries around the world is driven by medium-sized businesses, small and medium-sized so-called SME space. Uh, these companies are are often run by families or by founders, entrepreneurial people. And at some point in time, there is the 
the discussion around succession, right? So someone else uh, needs to take over that business because the founder is stepping down or taking a, a different role. And, and private equity is this new ownership. Um, it, it gives continuity to companies that otherwise would not have a future, right? Because suddenly the founders or the family that started the business falls away and without the proper succession plan, those companies would, would, would be in trouble. And therefore, private equity is this, let's say, ownership phase during which these businesses are bought by a professional ownership firm who runs those companies strategically and does strategic measures to improve the businesses. And that is really what, what private equity is all about. You're, you're buying companies you're improving them, professionalizing them. And then there is also the goal to sell them again and, and obviously make a profit on that. And those the exit can typically be towards uh, either uh, another private equity fund. It can be uh, obviously a listing on a stock exchange, uh, but it can also be the sale towards um, a larger corporation. Uh, so those are the, the typical exits that, that we see. Um, what is also interesting is that private equity, uh, because they're buying types of businesses that are not available on the stock exchange, it also provides a diversification effect compared to public markets. You're buying into sectors that are generally not available on the stock exchange. It's things like uh, like in healthcare, for example, if you're uh, if you want to invest in dental clinics, for example, there's very limited opportunities on the stock exchange to do that. There's a lot of private equity activity in that because dentists are basically entrepreneurs and at some point they need to step down and then private equity drives consolidation of that, of that industry and, and gives a future to all those, those practices that, that, that see a succession. Issues and so I think that diversification aspect is also very important. On top of you know the return potential from improvements and professionalization. Got it, got it. Um, Wim, let's maybe dive a bit deeper into the topic with you. Why are private assets and private equity, in particular, becoming increasingly relevant? Uh, and I'm wondering what what do clients tell you? Yeah, I, I guess that's to do with three factors fundamentally. Um, on, on the one hand, there's simply the demand from, from clients that is uh, getting more important. And that's, I mean, it used to be driven the last couple of years in a search for yields. People see these returns and they're thinking, you know what, rather than just invest in the liquid uh, markets, let's also add private assets because they give a different return potential. Um, obviously, the last uh, six months to a year, that, that has changed somewhat. I think now people see the diversification that Richard already alluded to. Um, these are other parts of the economy you can invest. And in a diversified portfolio, why wouldn't you diversify to the max? Um, Finally, there's also the aspect of the reduced volatility. The, the nature of these assets means that you don't have the daily mark to market. You don't have these big fluctuations. And to a certain extent, of course, uh, there, there, there's a little make-believe in that. But the important thing is, I think, it means also people uh, stay calmer. Um, on the one hand, sometimes they, they technically can't sell at the wrong moment. But on the other hand, even if they can sell, they might not want to sell because the volatility isn't there. And that's important because if you want a long-term return, you only get it if you're long-term invested. If emotion 
uh, you know, drags you up and down and makes you sell at the low and buy at the high, you're not going to get that, that long-term return. And I think private assets and private equity, for example, are particularly well-suited in that regard. Um, the second aspect is to do, I'd say, with technology. I mean, these, these, typically, these funds are typically structured for uh, large institutional investors with capital calls. Um, they were not securities, which means that for a big part of the investing population, especially uh, individuals, it's virtually impossible to get access I think in the last couple of years, we've seen different structures, different fund uh, vehicles that, uh, that take away that operational complexity, which means that banks and intermediaries and wealth managers uh, can actually offer it to their uh, private clients. So I think that's the second uh, driver. And then the third driver is purely regulation. Um, uh, the regulator typically took the view in the past that these type of illiquid assets are not suitable. I think there's a change now, and especially in Europe with the LTIF, I mean, a fancy word for saying we need a vehicle that tries to get savings, which are sleeping at the banks, into the real economy, into all these small and medium-type enterprises. I think that change means that going forward, a lot of that savings money is going to be channeled to these small enterprises. And as Richard said, should never forget that 90% of all jobs in our economy come from these type of companies. So mobilizing those savings uh, into uh, long-term capital for small and medium-sized enterprises, I think that's particularly relevant. Right. And maybe when we expand on that for a moment, Richard, uh, as an investor, do you have to be immediately aware of the risks of such a relatively new uh, category? I mean, with a looming recession, a more or less closed IPO market, rising interest rates, the conditions currently don't seem ideal, I'd say, for private equity? I think here it is very important to distinguish uh, within private equity that there are different strategies that, that you can pursue, right? I mean, uh, often private equity is just uh, mentioned as one single category, but in reality, within private equity, it starts with venture capital investing. So, you know, startups, investing in startups, then there's growth capital, which is finance and growth of businesses that maybe are still loss-making, but you need to, to accelerate that growth. Then there's buyout investing when you buying out. These are these typical succession issues that we were talking about earlier, where a PE firm buys out a, 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 another owner. And then there's also special situations and turnaround investing, which is buying companies that are in trouble and helping them you know, improve and, and, and become profitable again. So you have that full life cycle of companies that can be covered through various private equity strategies. And, and that's also where you know, diversification comes in again uh, over cycles. Uh, we believe that, for example, early stage venture capital investing is attractive throughout cycles because it's it's about seed funding and Series A funding, so-called Series A funding in venture capital is really when you're starting a business and you're helping an entrepreneur start uh, a business. And this is non-cyclical, uh, as we have seen in, 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 past, in past decades. Companies like Google or Facebook were actually started uh, in the ashes of the dot-com bubble. Uh, then you have um, uh, you know, uh, later stage growth investing, which is the so-called pre-IPO investing, which is obviously more cyclical in nature because you're dependent on the IPO uh, market being open. Uh, within buyout, you can also distinguish between 
small and medium-sized buyouts as well as large cap and mega cap buyouts. And also here we see a clear distinction between the cyclicality of these uh, investments in smaller companies versus the bigger ones. The bigger ones are much more linked to capital markets. Uh, the returns are more dependent on leverage because entry prices are higher and, and also IPO is more often an exit route. So, so throughout cycles, you will have different types of, of, uh, of areas within private equity that are more suited to whatever the environment is. Um, and, and, and therefore diversification helps. Uh, currently, we would, we would suggest that uh, people look at investing in uh, smaller buyout opportunities uh, because of, of, of what we said earlier, uh, or also early stage venture capital, because those are less cyclical in nature. And also there is data to show that uh, recession years in the past have been the best years to invest in such strategies. Now, at the same time, um, obviously, investors want to be rewarded for the risks that they take by investing in these companies. What can you say about the return on these instruments? And are the differences with public capital markets really significant? Yeah, so people people expect uh, an outperformance uh, from private from private assets and, and private equity here in particular because um, it is perceived as more complex and somehow uh, you know, more risky, and therefore there is the expectation of, of an outperformance. Uh, whether it's more risky, I mean, I think <laughs> I, I would personally not see that. Um, but Why not? Because I think it's it's a very controlled type of investment, private equity. It's it's you could take control of a company, you take ownership of its actions, and and therefore you actually have much more influence on the investment than on the public side, where you are a very small investor in a very large company and you don't have much influence. Uh, so that's why I think from a governance point of view, private equity provides very strong protections. Got it. Um, but people, you know, because the businesses are also smaller and so on, there is the expectation of an outperformance. And in the past, there has been an, an outperformance. Uh, and, and this also comes from the, the, the lesser liquidity, of course, uh, that there is in, in private equity compared to public equity. Um, and historically, uh, if you look at the public market equivalent methodology, people expect an outperformance from three to 400 basis points from private equity compared to public. Right. And you're mentioning it actually already because what we always hear is past performance does not guarantee future performance or something along uh, those lines. So you're saying for private equity, actually, yes. Yeah, in private equity, I would say there is there are stronger indications that the past performance does predict future performance to a certain extent. I mean, there's obviously no guarantees, right? We always have to give that caveat. But our, our research also shows that, a, for example, a private equity fund that has been a top performer, there's a higher probability that that private equity will remain a top performer compared to a lesser performer, which will more likely continue to be a lesser performer. So there is this consistency of return generation within private equity if you invest in the right strategies and with the right managers. And, and talking about guarantees, um, loser regulation can be seen as an incentive, I'd say, for this asset class. But I can also imagine uh, investors being wary of private equity because they believe regulators have less oversight of it. Um, what's your take on that, Richard? Yeah, I mean, the, the, 
the regulation topic is always is always uh, a big one. Uh, private equity is obviously it, it, its biggest criticism is that it is not transparent uh, and and uh, and people sometimes struggle with that, and that's why there's also in the press often uh, negative um, news around private equity. Um, the asset class can also do more to 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 be more transparent and disclose more and, and be more open. Um, and I think there is regulation coming uh, and, and, and that will help a lot. Uh, we've seen in Europe the, uh, the new uh, SFDR uh, directives and, and many funds are now becoming an Article 6 or Article 8 or Article 9, which increases the amount of disclosures. Uh, we ourselves are launching Article uh, 8 and 9 products as we speak. And we will have to disclose a lot of information on our portfolio, right? In terms of, of environmental data, social data, governance data. And I think this, this is part of a process of making private equity more, more, more open, more transparent. And, and obviously that type of regulation helps people to get more comfortable uh, and I think uh, the, the LTIF topic that we mentioned earlier is, is another type of regulation where uh, there's a very clear regulation now around how to open up private equity also for smaller investors who might be afraid of the asset class because of this you know, lack of transparency and information and because they get more protections through the regulations that are now in place and therefore they feel more comfortable to invest. So I think... You know, private equity should, to a certain extent, embrace regulation because it will help open up the asset class to the people who are, in fact, afraid to enter because they feel there is a lack of, of regulation. Wim, let, let's maybe take a step back. If investors get more opportunities in private markets and private equity, these markets will automatically become less private and maybe therefore more public. Um, is that an academic discussion only, or do you see these two categories growing closer together in the coming years? I, I guess it's a bit of both. I mean, there's an academic angle in the sense that every and any public company started as a private company. Um, and it's important to bear in mind that the stock market ex started existing when the first people started trading privately held shares uh, uh, in Amsterdam, to, to be clear. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, and that will always exist. Um, and as a result, the differences between the two markets, simply because they're in a different stage of their life, I would say, will exist. Now, what clearly will change is probably some of the delivery mechanisms. And I think um, the evolution of tokenization, the blockchain, means that the way... Uh, uh, privately held shares can be transacted uh, might change. And, and if, I mean, we know that more trading typically increases volatility, even if the underlying doesn't become more volatile. So in terms of behavior, you would expect that some of the behavior um, of these private stakes would resemble more public shares. But the benefits that Richard mentioned, the smaller companies, the having more control, the being invested in a different part of the economy, that will, of course, remain different. And so from that sense, the difference remains. But from an access point of view, it probably over the next five to 10 years will, will, will dramatically change. Right. And then, Richard, I, I can imagine that it would also mean that the issue of liquidity will become less and less uh, important because now st uh, funds still differentiate themselves uh, in the extent to which they offer liquidity. Um, are those going to dis disappear, those differences? 
No, I think there will always be differences in, in liquidity uh, because, as we always say, I mean, liquidity comes at a price. Uh, liquidity has an impact on your, on your returns. Uh, so there will always be investors who are willing to give up liquidity in order to gain the higher return. So I think traditional closed-ended private equity funds where people are looking to make sure that their entire money is deployed and fully invested and ma- and returns are maximized over the holding periods. I mean, that will stay in place, uh, but obviously with, you know, extra layers of liquidity built in, whether it's through through tokenization, uh, no, the growth of the secondary market, which we haven't really touched upon. Uh, that's a market that's, that's growing strongly. So more specialized players who are specialized in buying pieces of funds and and therefore creating liquidity for the market. I think that will only make the asset class more more attractive because it means that even illiquid underlying assets become more liquid uh, above. And and, and uh, it's it's just, I think, a sign of a, an industry that's maturing. Hmm. Well, everything you shared with us sounds quite promising. Uh, let, let's suppose that as an investor, I get curious about the possibilities, uh, Wim. Uh, what should I look out for and, and how can I invest? Yeah, I think for a private investor, there's essentially two routes. I mean, like I said, the difference in the past, operationally, you couldn't get access. And now you can get access to structures that are regulated. So from a transparency point of view, regulation point of view, you now have access. And then you have to make a choice. Um, and it has to do with liquidity. Either you say, I want some measure of liquidity because I can rebalance my portfolio. And then you have, in our case, for example, what we call semi-liquid funds, which is a Gaia 2 range, where you can monthly uh, go in the fund, you can go three monthly out. Um, but that liquidity as Richard said, has a price. And so there's now a second type of structure, which is this LTIF structure, which can be sold to everybody uh, in Europe, but it's still a closed-end fund. So you have exactly the same strategies in the closed-end format as in the semi-liquid format. Um, The difference being you may expect a slightly higher return for giving up that liquidity. And I think that's really where you have to choose. Second difference is, of course, the LTIF structure from a regulation point of view is really designed for everyone. The semi-liquid funds, the regulation differs country by country and is still a little bit more difficult to access because the minimum entry tickets are still higher. I mean, you have to imagine in an LTIF structure, you can invest from 10,000 euros But for a semi-liquid fund um, in Belgium, for example, it would be 250,000 typically, which is still a very sizable amount. Not the millions that you historically had, but still for most investors, a a quite interesting. Yeah, Um, Richard, what would be your recommendation to investors who want to explore these these markets? Yes, I think it's it's really a decision based on on what do I expect from my private markets exposure. Is it is it uh, it's it's obviously to capture a different type of return than you get elsewhere in your portfolio. That's true for all these different solutions. Um, but I think if you you know if you really really are afraid to lock up your money for a long period of time, then a semi liquid solution is is the best solution. But if you are able to give up on that liquidity to maximize the returns um, over, uh, let's say, an eight to 10 year period, 
then you should go for the non-liquid option because it will maximize your returns and your all your capital will really be put to work. So I think that that that's really a trade-off in you know liquidity versus non-liquidity, and that's a very personal decision I think in the end for everyone, everyone to to take for themselves. Institutional investors typically give up on liquidity to maximize returns because they have liquidity from other asset classes in their portfolio. And so institutional investors always go for the closed-end long-term funds to maximize returns. Liquidity they get elsewhere in the portfolio. So it, it also depends on what your overall portfolio looks like, what you will, will end up going for. Right. And, and maybe as a final question, Richard, how do you see these markets uh, developing? Like an, a number of outlooks have already been discussed, but what do you think is most important uh, trend in private equity for the for the coming years? Yeah, I think private equity will will continue to grow as a market. It will it will continue to evolve. Uh, these are all topics we we have discussed uh, throughout our 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 discussion today. Um, overall, as the market evolves, uh, more and more opportunities to invest, more and more different structures will pop up for people to invest in, and this journey of democratization, opening up the space to everyone is going to continue, right? Because at the end of the day, people want exposure to this asset class because it is an attractive asset class. And and therefore, I, I see a strong push uh, that you know, the availability of semi-liquid products, of LTIFs, of other, other solutions will, will continue to evolve. Yeah, we've seen the first cases of tokenization of private equity funds with using blockchain to open up to uh, to, to to a very large group of, of investors, and and that trend will will continue. and And I think it's a very exciting journey, and um, and I think many private equity firms will will jump on this trend and and take advantage of of these you know, pockets of money that so far have been completely untapped. Well, I would say that wraps it up nicely, uh, Richard. Uh, gentlemen, I'd like to thank you both uh, very much for this uh, interview and for this introduction into a relatively new um, asset class. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to thank my guests for their contribution and thank you for listening. If you want to know more about investing in private equity, check out schroeders.com or investmentofficer.nl forward slash private markets. Important information. This information is a marketing communication. No responsibility can be accepted for errors of fact or opinion. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. The value of investments and the income from them may go down, as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Exchange rate changes may cause the value of investments to fall as well as rise. Issued by Schroeder Investment Management Europe SA, 5, Rue Hohenhoff, L1736 Senegerberg, Luxembourg. Registration number B37.799